Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. Welcome to the Whisper Network. I'm Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton. I've had a longer and more unusual route to Hollywood than some. Seven years ago, I was starting a PhD in communication, focused in particular on representations of Black women in television and film. Just before I started my dissertation, I realized I didn't want to research TV or teach people about it. I wanted to make it. This meant starting my new career as an assistant at age 29 while writing my dissertation. Since then, I've worked on a few shows, including Atlanta and now The Bold Type. I'm starting to figure out how this industry works, but I still have plenty of questions. We'll begin to explore the amazing land of make-believe in this first season, bringing on writers, producers, assistants, actors, and more to get a sense of what these jobs actually entail and how the various systems in Hollywood work. In this first episode, our producer Amy interviewed me to give listeners a sense of who I am and what I've learned in this industry so far. Next week, we'll be back with an interview with independent showrunner Justin Chang. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. What made you want to do the PhD program that you did in the first place? What was the thing that you were kind of envisioning at the end of that? Were you thinking that you wanted to be a professor or anything like that? And then also, like, what interested you about the subject matter, too? Like, how how did that kind of come about? Yeah, it was not roundabouts, not the right word. But basically, I, at the time, I had done an independent study where I was looking at the progression of the mammy stereotype in film. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of delved into representations of Black women in film. And I was so interested in how those representations impacted Black women's daily lives, how Mm -hmm. it translated from having people watch these images and think that that meant that they were all true and real and um, put onto 
black women in general. Mm-hmm. And um, coming out of college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I had an interest in actually possibly pursuing a um, MFA in photography because oh, I was just so I was I, I was in love with images. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and I was speaking to a friend. She, because I was like, oh my gosh, all of these programs are so expensive. And at the time, she was in a PhD. She was in a PhD program at Penn in the in Com in, mm-hmm. in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And she said, "You have this desire to learn more about representations of Black women. Why don't you pursue a PhD? You can do the MFA classes there right. and just have them kind of pay for your MFA." Right. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, brilliant! That's so great! Like, I can be a professor." And like, I love the idea of like having getting tenure and just having a secure job and i was like and i'll just stay here till my grandkids go to college for free and then i'll die like, like researching yeah, interesting you know? stuff and, and yeah exactly yeah. like reading and like learning and all of that and yeah. so that's what kind of set me down the path towards you know academia but i think at the time i wasn't i didn't know myself well enough i think to admit that i had much more of an interest on the creative side than the academic side mm-hmm, of TV mm-hmm. and film, but the academic side seemed more respectable to oh, me. interesting. And so, you know, I, I, I wasn't at a place yet where I was like, oh, you know, family, friends, I want to I wanna make this thing. Yeah. As opposed to being like, you're the, you have a doctor in front of your name and you teach people about it. Right, right. What were the the things that were kind of giving you pause about that? I was afraid of not being taken seriously. I also just had no clue how you got into entertainment. I had no, I didn't, I didn't realize growing up, I didn't realize even in college, like, I never thought about the fact that people make TV, you know, I, I knew that there were people acting and stuff like that, but I didn't know all of the different moving parts of entertainment and how different people got those jobs and it's a part of why I was so interested in in doing this podcast and like asking Mm -hmm. people these questions because these are all the things I just did not know about like for some reason it never translated to me that in order for this to be appearing in front of you there are people hundreds of people who are involved right and that the brain power that goes into creating these stories is amazing and it requires such talent but to me I just didn't know and I did for some reason did not find that to be something I could pursue or that that people like would respect yeah that I knew it's interesting too because that I feel like that ties into the representation piece so much too Mm -hmm. it's like well you know if you want to get at the representation thing like you got to get more people of different backgrounds making the stuff right so like um was there a point where you sort of I don't know that like the, the the research that you had done on representation kind of informed the type of mm, TV you wanted to make or film you wanted to make or or like creative work that you wanted to do. Yeah, I I just and it's happening and it's so amazing to be to become have come into the industry at this point in time specifically um, where I think there is a, a call for diversity or that people people say they want diversity, which is yeah. different than the implementation of it. But um, I just knew I wanted dynamic characters. I knew that what I wanted to, to tell were stories about people who were layered and mm. like complicated as every human being is. And I think that's the thing that was being taken away and in doing my research for my dissertation, I was so happy to talk to Black female audience members and to talk to Black female executives, because that's who I interviewed for the study, about 
the characters that we have now because they they were interacting with them in a different way than than they were interacting with them you know 20 30 40 years ago Mm -hmm. because there are more of them and in there being more of them and having them a bit more dynamic they were interacting with them differently they felt okay saying i don't like this aspect of mary jane on being mary jane yeah because she she wasn't one note right she had multiple notes and and that that ability didn't exist and they before so <clears throat> there's a study and now i'm blanking on all things academic uh, <laughs> i've been out too long um <laughs> but where they did this cosby show study essentially and they yeah. interviewed um black and white um audience members of different socioeconomic statuses and talked to them about what they were seeing how they were interpreting it all of the stuff mm. and a lot of um the black people they talked to they were actually comparing different characters that they were seeing not so much necessarily to themselves in ways yes but it was like oh claire reminds me of my mom or you know bill reminds me of my dad yeah but it wasn't like let's talk about the actual characteristics of these characters it was more so like oh yeah you know theo reminds me of my brother or like whatever you know kind of association Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now you talk to them about characters like an olivia pope on scandal and it's like i really love that she is this educated woman who is like powerful in what she does and like that's what i want to do with my life or that's what i'm going towards Mm -hmm. i don't really like how she handles her romantic life like i feel (laughs) like you know and it's like ah affairs and then but they they were still different conversations that they they were having like some people were like I mean, it's love and like, lo- you know, I understand that it's wrong, but it's love and, and debating, you know, about it. No one 20 years ago would have said, I don't like Claire Huxtable. Right. You would have been insane to like say that. But it's because yeah. you only had a handful of black women on TV mm-hmm. and to have one who was like, you know, and I don't have anything negative to say about Claire Huxtable now, but it's just <laughs> but looking at the show, I'm like. So you were raising all these children and you had like, you were a lawyer. Like, there's no, how are you home right now? Like, yeah. there's just, you yeah. know, like logistical questions yes. that we never even thought to like ask, you know? There's a yeah. reason why Olivia Pope was only eating popcorn and drinking wine. She didn't have time to, <laughs> to cook a meal. Like, yeah. you know, like these yeah. things. And so uh, they're questioning and they're grappling with the characters we have now because they're just so much more layered and you know not every aspect of them is perfect and that's Mm -hmm. okay and that's a part of what makes them interesting and now they're talking about them in ways that they connect to them that they're that they um aspire to the things they don't want to like and it's and it's a way that um in particular like white women were doing with shows like dallas in the 80s yes and we're mm-hmm. just getting to do it now, you know? And so in th- 2010s on. Yeah. So we're like 30, like a 30-year ga- like lag time mm-hmm. on characters. And that's what my research was showing me. And that was so fascinating. But it's a matter of having more. Yeah. More and different. And, and you know, people say that like nonchalantly. They're like, oh, when you say I want representation, you just want more and different. I'm like, I want more different and deeper. Yeah. You know, like that's what I'm asking for. I'm not saying you just throw another random person on the screen and that's right. going to make it okay. Like, let's make the bellhop black. Like, that's not right. doing it right. for me. So um, I, I think it's a lot more nuanced than people want to want to make it. And if you yeah. don't have people in the room, if you don't have people in the exec suite, if you don't have um, the directors and like, you know, producers, then you're 
the ball stops eventually, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's it's getting people in there. And what was fascinating about talking to the black female executives is the way that technology like um, streaming services and, and the availability of YouTubes and things like that, that allow them to have negotiating tools mm-hmm. to say people of color have audiences. Yeah. People are interested in their stories and yeah. I, they're able, you know, Issa Rae was always talented, but when she made Awkward Black Girl and mm-hmm. execs could say she has an audience of X number of people. Yeah. They, her fans funded the season two of this thing. Yeah. You can't argue with that. Like, you yeah. know, it's like I have, you've get YouTube and Issa gave them a negotiating tool that they didn't have before because she was just as talented. Right. Prior, you know? Yeah. And so they've been able to kind of. Yeah. These, she just didn't have access to the system. Right. Access existed. to the system in the same right. way. Right. And she, unfortunately, that people of color and women often need to be able to prove. Build their own system and right, prove it. Prove and then, that they yeah. can do it as opposed to coming in and being like, I'm a talented person, while right. a lot of times other people are able to just say, I have this idea and so if someone's listening. Right. And right. for um, in more marginalized groups, it's build it and show me that you can do it and then maybe I'll let you into the system. So having yeah. these added technologies disrupted the TV market and like access lanes in a way that was just so interesting and fascinating to me. And that's what I wanted, you know, that's what my project was. And it was so fun to do it. But for me, it was like two-sided because I was like, I want to learn the industry, you know, that I want to get into. And this affords me access because I'm just the girl getting the nerdy degree. Like, and so people are like willing to talk to you. So it was, um, I kind of just had to use it also to my advantage, not only, you know, academically and intellectually but for my you know what I wanted to be my career yeah yeah totally you decided that you were gonna that you wanted to actually work in tv a while before you finished your PhD, right? I decided right after my qualifying exams. Okay. Like, so basically, that after you do that, you have your dissertation left. So right oh, before okay. dissertation time, I was like, I want to, I want to work in television. And then, did, and did that inform what your uh, dissertation was on? Because you were like, this way, I can actually talk to all these people that I want to talk to to get a sense of what I want to do too. And like, it it did. I mean, I think at a certain point, I was so ready to be out of the program um especially now knowing what i wanted to do that i had my original dissertation idea would have brought me in front of people that i like my original idea was what i did but i was ready to change that idea to something much simpler to get out faster (laughs) and i because i was i was over it and i um and i i knew i wasn't going to just quit because i was like you have a dissertation left like there's no reason to after all these years to quit and not have the actual degree Mm -hmm. and one of the people who I ended up being on my dissertation committee when I was like this is the project I think I want to do now and he was like he said this is not a bad project but you are smart enough and capable enough to do the first thing you proposed yeah and I want you to do the first thing you proposed yeah like you know and I think I I'm grateful to him for doing that because I 
I think at that point I was also doubting myself mm. and like doubting my my ability and he he wasn't going to let me doubt my ability and my uh, my intelligence and like mm-hmm. what I could achieve because other people other professors were doubting my ability to achieve what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of was like fine I am going to do the project <laughs> that I originally I proposed. Will then. This sounds <laughs> it sounds impossible but impossible sounds great and um so it, it and it just ended up being a you know I think I'm definitely someone who's like God works in mysterious ways because I ended up being on um the following year I I became the president of the graduate students at USC Mm -hmm. and that put me in the room with um Deborah Langford who had worked for NBC for 25 years and was at that point the chief diversity officer in the Marshall school but she still is over at at Marshall Mm -hmm. the business school Mm -hmm. and we were put on the provost diversity task force and and I was one of four students on this task force and we're sitting there and doing introductions you know I never I never met her before I didn't know who she was because I was in Annenberg Mm -hmm. and um I think I was sitting I think she was sitting to the to the right of me and we were we were going um counterclockwise. So the person beside me introduces themselves. I sit there and I'm like, Hi, and I'm Nikita, I'm a doctoral candidate and I am interested in black female representation in television and film and you know, I'm gonna be like starting to work on my dissertation and blah blah blah. And uh what's next? And Deb goes we're going to need to have a conversation. <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, I'm going to help you. And she did. She helped arrange every black female executive interview I had on my dissertation. Wow. Because she'd been in the business so long. And there, unfortunately, is so few black women in the business that she knows every single one. And yeah. she used her network to help me achieve something that I had professors in my program saying I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And so um, that put me in the room with them and I got to ask the questions that I wanted to ask. Yeah. And um, it was also really funny because my studies aren't confidential. I don't say who I interviewed or where any of the information came from. Yeah. And every interview I had, they'd be like, are you talking to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so? And they would be naming people that I was interviewing, <laughs> but I couldn't like tell them that. And I was like, I can't really talk about it. And they're like, oh yeah, because you should talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. And I was like, why do every single one of you know no, every single person? Ones. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really just kind of funny and interesting um, that 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 that's how it worked out. Um, but it just further solidified, you know, like what I wanted to do. And yeah. I think for me also part of it was I wasn't telling them like what as I was interviewing them clearly that like I'm not going to like pitch myself to them as so, like a writer. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the interview. And you should put me in a room somewhere. Um, so yeah. I but I wanted them to, to have heard my name. Right. You know, like you, you, I, I'm on, I was on your schedule at some point to yeah. talk to you. Yeah. And, um, I, I couldn't see how that wasn't beneficial, yeah. you know, to me. That was really helpful. And then the other thing about that room was the Dean of Religious Life was also on it. And he was like one of the heads of the, of the task force and, um, Varun Sony, who was amazing. And I, um, I was telling him, I was like, I don't want to go into academia. Like, I want to go into TV. I think I want to be a creative. Mm-hmm. And he was like, sounds great. He wasn't, he didn't doubt this. He didn't try to question it or anything like that. Um, and he was like, I, he edited a graphic novel um, and he had an agent at UTA mm-hmm. and he introduced me to an agent. Her name is Lauren Fox. And she like sat down with me. We had a conversation and it was at the time I was just looking for a job. Like I had, I had walked, but I still had to finish my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, yeah, I'm just looking for a job. And I was trying to apply to 
agencies and like I wasn't hearing back from anyone mm-hmm. and I went to meet with her and I was like if you've like hear of a job opening like anything like I'm writing and doing this stuff and she was like great like I'll keep my ear out it's so nice to meet you you know very nice for her to just take the time yeah and um I ended up getting a job probably like it was like over a month later but with um full screen which was um at the time they had like a mobile it's like a mobile app they had a a small production company and i had a friend who was working for them and she convinced them (laughs) she had to convince them to hire me Mm -hmm. um as a office um coordinator and originally i tried to get them to hire me as a pa and they just like kind of wouldn't like Mm -hmm. i I, it, it was funny to be somewhat like having phd in progress was has been was useful and also a detriment because yeah. people see that and they don't they don't want to make you an assistant even though you're asking them to make you an assistant. It's like I didn't right, accidentally right. apply to this job. Like I wasn't <laughs> I didn't misread what the title was. Yeah. Um and so I um she come like they ended up not hiring me to be a PA but then later wanted to add the job of an office coordinator mm-hmm. and she was a production coordinator at the time and she was like hire my friend like yeah. hire her interview her please and so i i sat down and i was like interviewed by you know these three guys two of them who are the showrunners and it was like they were so nice it was such a it was my first like um more creative like job interview the first one i'd ever had like, yeah. work for this production company yeah and so they were like really chill like really like lax like everyone's in jeans and like so, so like i had to like figure out what i was gonna wear because i was like i don't you don't wear businessy stuff like i know right, that right. you know and so i was like i want to wear like a be cute cool, sweater Nikita, yeah cool. like you're you're cool or whatever <laughs> so i like go in and it's these three guys who are all very friendly but it's like three white men yeah and they're like, so you have like a PhD in progress? They're like, you you have like more degrees than all three of us put together. And I was like, and I'm sitting there and I was like, that's funny. But also like, I'm literally applying to be your assistant. And that's just like showing just how twisted <laughs> this like industry is where I'm like, I'm yeah. so, you know what I mean? Like to be yeah. in the room, how like qualified I need. Anyway, yeah. so yeah. I ended up getting the job and, it was, you know, which is great. And I enjoyed being over there. And it was like my first look into like, working with producers and like actors and writers and so that was really really cool and met really cool people and I enjoyed the experience but about two weeks in I get an email from Lauren Mm -hmm. from you from the at the time (laughs) at the time she was at UTA and um she was like hey uh Atlanta's looking for a writer's assistant and I was like, well, that that great show that's all. I was like, okay, yeah. uh, you know. What? She's like, she's like, she's like, do you want me to put your resume in? And I was like, ha okay, like, sure, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> I'll give you my resume. It'll be great. Um, yeah. so I sent it to her, not expecting anything. And I think also once you have a job, you feel way less like under pressure about yeah. applying to another job. Mm-hmm. So, um, gave her the resume for promptly forgot about it. Yeah. And then maybe like another week. Later, I, I had an email from her that was saying that um, they wanted to meet with me. They wanted to interview me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And then I, I just remember going, I need to find out what a writer's assistant is. Like, what do they Actually, do? what do they do? Let's talk yeah, about that. So yeah, so a writer's assistant is like a human recorder. Like, essentially, you're sitting there in the room with the writers 
writing down almost everything they say, but doing it in what needs to be a very organized manner. So you you either are someone who organizes as you go or semi-organizes as you go. And at the end of the day, you usually clean everything up and you send it to them at the end of the night. So every night they get the notes from what happened. And this, depending on what gets talked about, that might just be, you know, blue skying a season or it could be talking about a specific episode or a specific character, their arc. It, um, it could be, you know the beats so the moves of Mm -hmm. of a character throughout an episode and you might be weaving those together and but basically you just record all of the ideas and Mm -hmm. pitches and things like that that have happened throughout the you're literally a human tape recorder and depending on the the room you're in some showrunners like to hear from their writer's assistants like they might let you pitch or like have input some of them like their recorders to be very silent Mm -hmm. (laughs) and but either way you are you're the you're the assistant to the writers and every once in a while they might be like hey so can you find x thing for me or like what Mm -hmm. day did we talk about this and you might have to resend things but yeah so every every day you're just you're writing everything they're saying interesting okay two things i want to know one is did you have any kind of ideas about what creative work was like that that like did not at all match up with what it was like let's start there i mean it was kind of it was weird to me to have people just sitting in a room all day like that was like <laughs> the same straight yeah, yeah it was like i just it, it, and atlanta was my first room that i'd ever been in and in in, in and of itself it's different yeah. but um i was like oh we're gonna sit here for like eight to ten hours just like mm-hmm. us which i think is a part of the reason why People, showrunners, head writers are very selective about who they bring into the room. Right. Because it's like, do I want to sit here with this person? No matter how talented they are, do I want to sit here with you for hours on end, for weeks on end? Yeah. So it's because even for my position, I don't want to say most people, but people know how to type. Like (laughs) there's a lot of people who can type and type out like what you're saying and like (laughs) look around. But it's also I think the aspect a part of it was do we like her enough that we don't mind like hearing from her occasionally (laughs) while she types? And and I guess they were cool with it. I don't know. Does her breathing bother us? They might regret it now. (laughs) I don't know. But like um, it's 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 yes. Like I I think and that's the same for the writers. It's. Is this person talented, but also do I like this person as a person? Can I deal with this person as a person? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like this percentage, you know, like of which one matters more to you at what time or like for how long. And so yeah. I think that all kind of comes into play. So I just didn't I didn't realize that it was like that, you know, and then. I also didn't, I, after having that experience in my head, I was like, I guess this is how right it, this is how a room works. Right. And then I went to my next room and I was like, this room's different. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my next room and I was like, this room is different. And so they all just work very differently. A show that's in production while the writing's happening is very different from a show that it's just writing and then months later production happens. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of on a different clock. When you're in production with it, the yeah. train is upon you and you're needing to, you're on a learning curve the whole yeah. time. And so it was interesting to me to um, just experience people just being in a, like a room for hours on end together yeah. was like weird. And yeah. then um, because especially coming from academia and coming from grad school where it's like, I'm going to get my assignment and then I'm going to sit on this desk for two hours and then I might go to a coffee shop or then I might go home. I might mm-hmm. do this. And like I got to move around more. Yeah. Um, but to just be like, oh, you want me to sit here and you want me to throw out ideas and you want. And I didn't I also didn't know how mentally 
taxing taxing it was, it was. Yeah. and i was as the recorder i was the tape recorder as i was tired as a tape recorder i don't even have to come up with ideas mm-hmm. that's their job i'm tired just from like typing <laughs> for that long yeah. and not that i didn't know that but i i guess i didn't um i don't think you would think of it like i mean i'm a writer and i hear that and i think oh that sounds fun but like I yeah imagine it's actually exhausting i mean it, it used to happen to me with with the dissertation and even with qualifying yeah. exams where I was like, did I just only work for two hours and I am exhausted? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because of the mental energy going into like what you were doing. Yeah. Now I don't think it's not like every two hours I want to like pass out and the, it's not what it is. It's not taxing exactly the same way, but mm-hmm. for you to be sitting there, you're taking in other people's ideas, you're spitting out your own. It, mm-hmm. it is, it's very mental work. Yeah, you're actively thinking the whole time. I feel like a lot of people might work a 12-hour shift, but they're not like actively using their brain the whole time. You yeah, know? it's kind of why I um, people, when I was uh, like unemployed between like different rooms, I got a temp, like temping, I was temping mm-hmm. and I was having these different jobs and I kind of, like people were like, why are you doing like temping? And I was like, I like being somewhere where people think I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. And they were like, why? I was like, they don't ask me to do anything. Like, yeah. I don't tell them, I don't tell them what I know, what I can do. They leave me alone. They explain how phones work. Like, I don't know how a phone works. Like, and it's great. You know, I'm like, they're like, this is how you transfer calls. And they're like, you press this button that says transfer. And I'm like, I like that you're treating me like I can't read. Like, I think it's all, I think it's great because it's just like, it's so easy, you know? And I'm like, yeah. if I want to work on something, I can while I'm sitting here. Yeah. But it was nice to just have like the mental break of like being in charge of just answering the phone and like when people like refilling the candy bowl and saying hi. Yeah. When yeah. people walk in. And um, it's because it's really, I think, mentally taxing work that like often, you know, people don't think about. Yeah. Um, okay. What have you honed in on as like the, I feel like you've probably learned about lots of different types of jobs within this realm, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what now is sort of the goal? And then um, I'm also curious to hear about sort of what the biggest challenge has been for you um kind of past what you sort of expected what's been the the biggest like surprising challenge um hmm oh i'll answer the goal question first so i from pretty far like the start when i knew what i when i knew i wanted to write i was like it wasn't just i want to write it was i want to show run i was like i want to i want to be in charge of the show i just felt like a lot of my experiences before like leading up to that decision Mm -hmm. were putting me in the position where it's like you're gonna lead like you're gonna um deal with people being like under you and like being on a team and and coordinating and like doing all these different things and like handling a lot of moving balls at the same time like I Mm -hmm. joke about my family's from Jamaica and I joke about how I always have like 17 jobs and I was like that's being a showrunner a show like you were dealing with all of these different pockets happening at the same time and you need to balance it and you need to balance it like a winner and not freak out and like yeah because then your team's freaking out and um so I think I knew I was like looking at Chanda and I I was like oh she's doing it like I can't I want to do that that's the thing I want to do but mm-hmm. I, I I knew I wanted to do comedy and so I was like I want to be the like the, the comedy person and like I want I want to make great content I want to use the things that I've learned on this other side outside of entertainment yeah. studying it to like make it better and like come in with a different mindset and um so showrunning was always the goal and I I think 
what's interesting is like my first job was being a writer's assistant, which is seen as which is technically ranked, I, I would say, higher than being a showrunner's assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and for like right now, it's like I went from being a writer's assistant to being showrunner's assistant. And in my mind, I was just like, oh, like I'm going to step backwards, you know, like something. But getting to be a, on this this job on the bull type it's been for me one my boss Amanda Lasher is like amazing and I like stand for my boss um but <laughs> awesome. yeah because she's she's a mentor yeah she wants to mentor she she came up as an assistant and I think there's something really important about people who've come up as assistants mm-hmm. it's either it's either they're terrible either to terrible their assistants or, yeah. or they're great to their <laughs> yeah. assistants and she's someone who's who's great to their assistant but she want she asked me what I wanted to do she asked me what my goal was, and I was like, "My goal is to be you." Mm-hmm. And so I want to le- I want to know everything that y- you're doing, and I want to I want to understand, and I want to learn. And she made an environment where it was okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And so because I'd also not been on a show that had been in production, a lot of stuff was happening that I was experiencing for the first time. Yeah. And there was one day when she came in and she was like, "Hey, can you send me the strips?" And I was like, "I don't know what you're what like referring that? to." And she was like, <laughs> "The one liner, like the strips." And I was like. And she's like, oh, and she's because she like knows that I don't know. And so yeah. she's like, it's a one liner. It's like literally what's getting shot each day. She's like, we call them strips, too. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Or like I came in and I was like, oh, so these episodes are shooting at the same time. Or no, she didn't. She came in and she was like, yeah, these cross bordered episodes. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she's like, they're <laughs> shooting them at the same time. And I'm like, cool. So like there's been a very steep, like a learning curve for real with this job. But yeah. I'm now seeing I'm like, OK, this is how this works. And like this, you know, I, and I she. Yeah. She um, will take me to a spotting session, which is like where you sit and listen to the music that they're putting into like different spots and saying like, are you cool with this music? That's like the intro. Do you like this song? How do you feel about this cue of music? Like, and I'd never experienced that or thought about it, you know, and like meeting like the music supervisor and the composer and like the editors and um you know i do a lot of the temp adr which is cool mm-hmm. and like uh you know how they what that is oh so <laughs> i never remember what adr stands for <laughs> um but basically it's um it's audio that's input into the episode after the episode is actually shot right. so um you know afterwards you might realize oh this this point isn't landing or actually we want the characters to be saying this to tweak this a little bit and so they'll edit it such that that person's back is to you so <laughs> you can put words in their mouth essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so while they're testing that out I, I do it for our show mm-hmm. for a lot of the female voices so they can hear like oh yeah this so the studio and network can and, hear okay. you know That's what they want to put in and then later the, the the actual actor actors will do it uh-huh. so um i've gotten like that experience of like yeah. seeing what the editors are doing or like how much can be actually done in post which i kind of in my head i was like you shoot it and that's what you got and i was like the magic that is editing mm-hmm. and like the what the what a writer and an editor to get by their powers combined can <laughs> can turn a scene into yeah um so I just and it's funny and I talk to her and I I call it you know there'll be times where she's like oh like let me know if this thing's like uh, you know if this is too much work or not and I was like listen we are I was like you (laughs) I'm I'm bold and and I'm working on the bold type but I'm like I was like I am in boss bitch training camp with you right now (laughs) and I want you to know that and like that you're I'm learning from you and you know like I'll tell you if it's like something's too much but I want to know yeah and um I want to learn and I want to get better and I want um 
to really understand what this job is. And on the days that are crazy, there'll be times where she's like, do you still want this job? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> I sure do. And so um, I, I think from the beginning, I kind of knew that. Now, as far as like obstacles, I think being someone who, um, for better or worse, was like, I was someone who always had my mindset on like, I didn't know what I, as a kid, I thought I, I wanted to be a doctor, but a medical doctor. And I was mm. just like, I think I just really just liked the, the sound of Dr. Hamilton. I promise you, I think that's what it was. <laughs> I, I saw it on the on a sign. A I saw good. it on a sign as a kid and I was like, I like the sound of that. And I was like, I'm going to Harvard to be a doctor. And my mom was like, sounds good to me. And so when I got through high school and I started, you know, I think it was like, you have your mind on this goal, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember doing college visits with my mom and we went to Harvard and I was like, I don't really like this place what's this mean what do I do with the fact that I don't like want to go here yeah. and um I fell I fell in love with Penn and then so it was like I want to get into Penn mm-hmm. and then like got there and I was like cool I achieved my goal and I was like oh what do you you're like 18 and you like got the thing you wanted but you don't know what happens after that mm-hmm. you know like and I was just like oh my gosh I don't know what happens after this and I realized I didn't want to be a medical doctor and that didn't know what I wanted to do and mm-hmm. that was really difficult and I think when you have someone like me just being like a goal-oriented person but I had to learn to think in like a a really different way Mm -hmm. and so like for me now in this industry where the you can have a goal but the steps to get to that goal are different for every single person and Mm. luck is coming in yes talent matters as well very much but where it's kind of like every day you feel like the dominoes are falling in a different place it's a little disconcerting for someone who's like came from being like if I was going to be a doctor that means that I do this at this point I take organic chemistry I do this I do right. my MCATs I score this thing I do the applications I go like it's but beyond school, your support. control this right one. it's yeah. a little bit like That's and and I'm it's like I'm a type a slightly OCD <laughs> super goal oriented person who gets joy out of like tabs and post-its <laughs> and um it, now in this industry that is like not super secure all the time and doesn't have a, as as well drawn of a, of a roadmap. Yeah. And so for me, that was wrapping my mind around that was like a part of the problem. And then also, um, even though I recognize that we don't live in a world that's a meritocracy, my mind doesn't. <laughs> Doesn't compute do, that. Doesn't compute that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be sitting there and I was like, great. I was like, I'm an assistant. And uh, but yeah, I was like, okay, we do this for a season. And then like someone, you know, like I'm going to work really hard and like I'm going to earn like, you know, get like a promotion. Like I should, like, what's the next step? Like this is how this works. And that's not how it works. You know, there's some people who are writer's assistants for years and years and years mm-hmm. before they get the shot or they don't or, you know, or they switch into something else or, or whatever. So I was just like, oh, this doesn't work in the same way. And I need to figure out, like, not that I'm going to work any less hard, but I think I had to manage my expectations of what different opportunities could afford me. Mm-hmm. And it and it might be managing before the fact or after the fact. So it and saying to yourself, I took this job, I learned from it, and maybe that's all I got from this. Right.
all I got from this is what I, I literally learned during the experience. Or maybe this cracked the door a little bit more open for me to use it to get the next job. And that's all I'm getting out of this. Maybe I don't get a promotion from these people. Maybe I never hear from them again. Yeah. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I have, to, I have to be okay with that. And we go to the next thing and I use this and this is what I learned from it. And maybe that's it. You know, like I think I had to just manage what I was going to get out of it. And so that now, and it, I, I, I still war with, if that's just being really pessimistic, like I, I'm like, I feel like a very, I feel, I feel much less yeah. of a hopeful person than I was coming into the industry. <laughs> I think, I think 2016 Nikita was way more hopeful than 2018 yeah. Nikita, but I, I see it more of like this managing of expectations because there are a lot of disappointments in in this industry yeah and not that anyone's like purposefully like out to get you but it doesn't mean they're looking out for you either like Mm -hmm. you're not their priority necessarily they're they themselves are probably their priority and they're dealing with their own things and like trying to achieve whatever goals they have Mm -hmm. so um i think it's a rarity and something you really try to keep when you have someone who's like wants to mentor you or help you or anything like that Mm -hmm. and i am a sponge for advice that people are like willing to give me and it's a part of what i love about the room i'm in now where people are like really kind and like helpful we have people who've been in the industry for a while and they're more than willing to sit down and be like this is this thing i learned or like think about this or like here's writing you know 101 for you and i kind of love it because sometimes they're like you don't want to hear this and i'm like i want to hear what you're saying like i promise i want to hear it and it's like it's like i know i'm a broken record and i'm like you're my favorite broken record um (laughs) so it's i think you you take what you can and you have to sometimes be okay with like maybe that gem of information is all you're getting out of this Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like keep it moving, work on your own stuff, do all of that. So I think and I think sometimes for me also an obstacle with the the, with the being so goal oriented and looking towards this thing and then like even achieving it and looking to the next thing Mm -hmm. is that I don't appreciate what's happened or like Mm. what's been accomplished. Yeah. Me and my therapist together are working on this. Um, But (laughs) it's I had to think about it the other day that I was like, oh, my gosh, your first job in the industry you got in august of 2016 and you're now like you're a showrunner's assistant yeah you know and like putting that through my mind or like being like okay you just got you got to be on a script two years in you know and i think a part of it too is is i i basically worked towards a whole other career before this yeah so like sometimes i'm just like oh my gosh you're so old you're like you know it's like you're in your early 30s and like this you you're doing a job that like kids in their like 20 like 25 or like 26 are doing mm-hmm. but I, I have to remind myself of one where I came from why that experience was useful to me now yeah and that you it's it's still commendable you know what I mean and it doesn't it, but it also doesn't matter if it is or isn't to anyone it matters if it's like getting me to where I want to be and if I'm on the track for where I want to be so I think for me oftentimes the the obstacle is my own expectation mm-hmm. and so it's like managing those things not giving them up like I was like my goal is still the show run I don't know when exactly that's going to happen or like me going up the ladder in the room but I know it's going to happen yeah like I know I'm going to make it happen um but it's i think for me it's like just managing your own thoughts it's it's giving yourself credit when you should mm-hmm. acknowledging your accomplishments when you have them whether they're big or they're small um and it, and sometimes that's the hardest part i think you know and also i i make 
you know, like I made a short film this year because mm-hmm. I was just like, I have this idea and I want to do this thing. And like a part of this, I think, is like making work that makes you, that really feeds your soul. Yeah. Um, Reminds you why you're doing it. And right. You know, and yeah. it's like, why are you do? Why do you want to do this? Why did you want to write this narrative or why did you want to tell this yeah. story? And it was important for me too, you know, to to have something where I was like, you wrote that, you produced that you um you acted in that like it Mm -hmm. it was important to me to see myself create a body of work yeah and to like feel like i've earned like because it's i think also when you're like i'm a writer but you don't have it's like no i earned that title yeah that's that's me i am that thing um so yeah i think my my biggest obstacle will probably always be my own expectations of what i should be doing yeah yeah that reminds me of um like i I feel like you and I have talked about this a couple of times and mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting for other people to hear too. Um, this idea that a lot of the sort of structure of the industry kind of puts people into the psychological space to like be easily abused, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you're um, whatever form that takes, you yeah. know, um, just that like you're, you're only, it's like this position you're in where you're constantly being, you're constantly seeking approval you are sometimes working with toxic people who are emotionally abusive and then you know maybe someone's nice and they're abusive in a different way yeah (laughs) yeah it it is like I think being an assistant being assistant level is hard because you're Mm -hmm. you're there because you're trying to achieve your dream right you're trying to achieve your goal you want these people to like you you want them to want to hire you you want them to want to move you up Mm mm-hmm you want to be good at your job. Don't you, want to make anyone mad. You don't want to make anyone mad. <laughs> yeah. And um, and you're also trying to like put a roof over your head and like feed right. yourself. And I think, well, the thing is too that the industry and um, I think Kenya Barris brought this up, or he was on a panel where someone brought it up. It's mm-hmm. one or the other, mm-hmm. but talking about the privilege you need to have to even be an assistant mm-hmm. because it usually means that someone is supplementing your income. Yes. Justin brought this up actually right. in his episode too. Uh, yeah. This happens in media too. Like it's like you're um, to take these to, internships to do or do internship. these things right, exactly. where it's like you're not yeah. paying me money or you're paying me very little money, right. and then also you're like you potentially could be being abused right. and like you know either emotionally or mentally, mm-hmm. uh, um, hopefully not physically, but yeah. you know where that that can happen, and you to a part of the reason why I feel like we need so many more people who are like marginalized in positions of power mm-hmm. is because um, people need to be able to feel okay exiting a toxic situation because they feel like there's someone yeah. who would hire them somewhere else. And I think that's a part of it. Like I've only quit one job in this industry, but when I quit, I was like, my mental health means more than dealing with this thing. And mm-hmm. I don't, and I'm scrappy enough that I will find a way to pay for my bills, but I'm not going to deal with this thing anymore. And mm-hmm. I, I call, I call the studio and I was like, I want to quit. Are you okay with that? I asked, I asked that, you know, yeah. and, and they were like, go with God. We'll pass your resume around. They understood why I wanted to quit. And I think that's also a part that's of the problem. They yeah. knew that, like, I was going through something. Like, I was dealing with something I shouldn't be having to deal with. Right. Such that they were like, we get it. 
yeah. you know, but they weren't going to do anything about it. But they won't hold it against you if you quit. Yeah, least. they're not going to so, hold it yeah. against me. And that, that, but that meant something to me because I was like, am I burning yeah, a bridge? Like, right. that's the thing, too. If you're if quitting, you're starting out. Yeah, yeah, you're starting out. You don't want to burn a bridge. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing with like when people started talking about Harvey Weinstein's assistance and like whether they were, I was like, these were people who were afraid that they're, they haven't even gotten the foot in the door yet. Right. And they're afraid that it's about to be like scorched earth on them. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't blame them for not saying anything or do. Yeah. And I was like, especially you're talking about like, young people i think because because i became an assistant at the age i am yeah i think that was also a little bit different where it's like we're not pushing like i was like you're not gonna push me around like yeah, i yeah. i'm gonna i want to work with you i want to help you like i want you to benefit from the fact that i've been on the planet for as long as i've been on the planet yeah but what you're not gonna do is like ask me to draw you a bubble bath because i'm just not like i'm right, not, gonna, I'm not right, gonna show right. up you know like it's not gonna be a thing where i'm like oh yeah that sounds great like i'm gonna be like that's weird and i'm not i'm unavailable like you know so i think that yeah. that's like also a part of it too where you're talking about someone who's like not only are you in a position of vulnerability but you're at an age in which you might find something acceptable like i remember being an assistant i remember being a 21 year old assistant when i thought i wanted to be in fashion Mm -hmm. and i my boss had me move move by myself everything from his um sub-level apartment to a four-story walk up and i did it like that's the thing i did it at 21 i was like oh i hate this job like this is what this is, this really is what fashion me. is like okay and then becoming like a 29 year old assistant i was like and the what i'm not gonna do is that like yeah. you know yeah. and so it's like everyone has these like horror stories of being an assistant yeah and i so it's like it was understandable it was like i remember lugging this stuff like up this yeah. thing and like you yeah. know dealing with all of these things or like and it's it's age plus vulnerability and i think god bless the people who don't take you know like who are set these reasonable expectations and like are kind and and all of these things and have their their assistant's best interests at heart yeah because there's not it's sad that there i feel like there's more of the people who don't than who do um but um yeah. How do you feel about the representation question now from this side of it, um, you know, versus when you were kind of studying it from the outside before? I think I think diversity and representation are they're, they're buzzwords. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. There's some people who really do care about it. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people for whom it is literally a buzzword. It mm-hmm. is it is a, a box to check. It is, you know, we're going to bring in this one person and that's it we've done our job and we may or may not actually want to hear from this person and all this stuff and so it's like i think people recognize that is important on some level but as far as it's actual like implementation are a little less concerned and i think a part of my disillusionment with academia was that people kept producing studies saying how bad things were and to me we're not producing actual solutions or Mm -hmm. like coming up with ways to make sure that change actually happened right i'm like thank you for the report that says the same thing the report last year said yeah and the same thing i can glean because i watch tv and go to the movies that the numbers aren't really changing right i I know that in um you know i was sitting there with these reports that came out of usc and came out of ucla Mm -hmm. that were just like detailing how few directors how few writers how you know a few characters and they weren't changing very much you know Mm -hmm. it it might be like a slight spike and then it's back or even lower than it was before and Mm -hmm. it was depressing and i made (laughs) i say i made a mistake but i i 
it was needed and necessary and smart of me to do, but I was on the WGA website and I was like, they, they allow you to search for members by mm-hmm. race and gender and like all this stuff. So yeah. like if someone was like, I, so anytime some, uh, 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 executive or a showrunner says that they can't find a person of color, right. they are, they are lying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. lying. You mm-hmm. can literally search. And I was like, well, let me see how many black women are in the WGA. Mm-hmm. I think the number is 235 out of 20,000 wow. members. And I was like, because I, cause I remember clicking in it and I was like, this is only five pages. Why is it? Why is it only five pages? I was like, oh, that's all of them. Yeah. And that's not including people who, um, some of the people on that list, they're not writers. They're like directors who have had credits enough that actually qualified them to be and they just they mm-hmm. paid, you know, to be in the, mm-hmm. the union. Some are writers who probably had stuff like optioned. Yeah. So they're not actively TV writers. Some of those are only two features. Like, right. and so when I was looking at the numbers, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so small. Let me do the math. I go down math rabbit holes. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> but I was like, okay. I was like, that's 1.2% essentially is like roughly, I think I just put in 250 and then divide yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, so 1.2% of the WGA is black women. Yeah. And I proceeded to text one of my best friends from grad school, PhDA. Mm-hmm. And um, she did her MPH and PhD at the same time while we were in our program because mm-hmm. she's a magical unicorn. And I was like, hey, is the number of black female PhDs in the US 1.2% of PhDs or, or in the country? Or like, what is it? Like, I don't remember. And she was like, yeah, I think like the number of black female PhDs is about 1.2%. She's like, that data might be a couple years old. But like, I was like, it's the same number of women in the WGA percentage wise, black women. And she was just like, oh, so you just like trying to be special. <laughs> and I was like, I don't I don't need to be a unicorn squared. I don't want to be a unicorn right. squared, but that's what the data is telling me that they're not that many of us. And like even looking through that list, I was like, I know that name. I know that name. I know what show they're on. I know this. Like I might not know them personally, but I know who that person is. I know mm-hmm. I was like, that's my friend's little sister. And that's that the person yeah. who just came out of this thing. And like I know who these people are. And it's kind of wild and mind blowing to have anyone say like we can't find someone or we can't do something. And like, why are there so few of us? I was like, if black people in general are making up, you know, a little over 13% of the U S population yeah, and maybe black women are like half of that. So maybe like seven, you know, let's say it's like 7% or whatever, mm-hmm. a little less. Why is there such a disparity within this, this industry mm-hmm. as far as the writing of these women? And then on top of it, I'm like, you have shows that you know, you have you know shows like Queen Sugar that make it a point to hire a lot of female directors, mm-hmm. um, and with female directors of color. But there's so few behind the camera. There's so few on the screen. There's so few in the room. There's so few in the who are executives. Yeah. And to say we really care about diversity, we care about representation, and those numbers mm-hmm. aren't shifting. Do you really care? Yeah. You know, do you like, do you really care? Is your obsession and your way of dealing with representation just to make minor characters brown? Right. Right. Or, yeah, just to say you have someone on the staff but not actually take their suggestion. Yeah, you know, like that, that doesn't – it yeah. doesn't matter, you know? Like, it doesn't matter that you hired the, you know, the new, like, copy editor is the black or brown. Like, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. like this is not really – this isn't shifting the, the problem. You yeah. feel good maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not yeah. really – you know, so for me it's like a buzzword and I – um it's it's 
it just makes it not representative of the world we live in. And I think that was always Shonda Rhimes qualm, right? Where they would ask her about representation and she would get like annoyed. And at first I was like, why is she getting annoyed with representation? But I was like, oh, I get it. You're talking about how this is the world. Why do I have to keep talking about this thing? Yeah. And you don't want to make the world look like the world. <laughs> right. And that's Actually, what's frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, I, I, I get that. And I, I don't want it to be a buzzword. I want it to just be a part, like a thing we do and you want to do. And it's a part of having something successful. And especially when the numbers are showing that the having it represent representative of the world to a certain point actually makes your show more successful yeah people are more interested in it so i'm like why would you keep doing the and thing reach more people yeah that is like yeah. not yeah. i was like i thought this was about money like it was really because that was a part of my industry it was like i was like isn't it knowing that this thing works and it gets you money why would you not want to keep doing it and they're like right. well it depends on i mean i want to go down the rabbit hole of like advertising but they want specific kind of advertisers for like a specific right. like you know and it's like mm-hmm. The Mountain Dew is not as a great as Mercedes. Like all these different points, and 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 even though the dollars are the same, the I guess the caliber of the dollar is different. So mm-hmm. those those things are are coming into play. And um, so for me, it's just like I want to be another a voice that's in the room. And um, I think another thing that I realized I didn't that I had in my head that I hadn't thought about was when I got this job. Um, I, I, I walked in and I like didn't know who else was working for the show, right? Mm-hmm. And so I walked in and we at the time for season two, um, Amy Joe, who I interview, yeah, is um she was a staff writer and she's yeah. a black woman, and I remember like walking in and seeing her and being so excited and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like there's another black woman, like this is there's so great, yeah, there's yeah. two of us. <laughs> but then after that initial happiness, and I've told her this, I thought. I'm never going to get staffed on this show because they have a black woman. Mm-hmm. They've checked the box. They checked the box. And yeah. I was like, and I felt, yeah. it made me feel sick, like a little sick that that's what I was thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's no room for me to ever be staffed here because they already have, they have someone representing all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that's the thing. Um, and, I I had to at a certain point I was like well wait they have like four white women why is it why would I think that that means there's no space it's like if there can be multiple of them if there can be multiple men if there can be like why yeah. can't there be more than one black woman in this sh- on this show that's not like all black characters yeah. you know and I was like but it's it's ingrained in your head that like you you were you are only hired to check a box mm-hmm. someone who looks like he was only hired to check a box mm-hmm. and that's a part of the problem too yeah. That's it for this time. If you're interested in checking out some of the research I mentioned, I recommend taking a look at the following books and studies. Enlightened Racism, The Cosby Show, Audiences, and the Myth of the American Dream by Soot Jolly and Justin Lewis. Watching Dallas, Soap Operas, and the Melodramatic Imagination by Ian Ang. The Diversity Reports from the Ralph J. Bunch Center for African American Studies at UCLA. A report comes out every other year. We'll link to them in the show notes, and we'll be revisiting the topics of diversity in the writer's room and what it's like to work in the writer's room in general on future episodes. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that. To any other assistants listening, hang in there, and we'll see you next time.
The Whisper Network is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producer is Amy Westervelt. Our theme song is by David Whited. This episode was recorded at Forward Studios in Los Angeles, and our sound engineer was Matthew Nelson. You can find The Whisper Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review the podcast. We'd love to know what you think. Plus, it helps us find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.